The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and Brady Quinn. Today is the Brady Quinn Football Show. Hopefully I did that right, Brinson. And it is March Madness themed. We are here all week sharing our off-season news. Yesterday we played free agency recap Uno. That was a fun one. Today we're going to dip our toes into the madness by matching Sweet 16 teams to their NFL doppelgangers. And look, if you're watching us on YouTube, smash that like button, leave a comment, subscribe, audio listeners only, do the same, download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. Fellas, this is a March Madness-themed show, so before we get into that, Where I have to say, and I talked are about- our air horns, Billy? <laughs> Billy? Play your Do we have taps? I need room for that. Do we, no, do we have, you set it up and Billy, Billy, Billy hosts you. Billy, do you have taps? Can you, can you hit that? Because before we get into football, <laughs> my bracket is dead. Oh. Like it was dead. It was done before we even got to uh, the second round, really. I, I just, I don't know how you all have absorbed the tournament. It's been so much fun. Um, however. One of the best ever. Well, and that's because we say all these upsets, right? We're heading to the Sweet 16, which would be the theme of today's show, as Katie just talked about. But. I look at it, I'm like, everyone loves it. And then up to this point, then we go, yeah, but we went like the boy we feel like is the best team winning at all. Like, we love the underdog story. We love the Cinderella story to a certain point. Like, maybe even to, to the Final Four, but we don't like to see that team maybe making it to play in a championship game. So, uh, are, are you guys still alive? You guys still have brackets that are alive in this? Actually, I mean, like, I'm like, I think my bracket's crushing. I don't know. What? <laughs> I thought it was toast because I have been. So I have Texas winning it all. Okay. So I'm still alive there. Um, I had Arizona in the final though. So I mean, like I, I might not be able to win, but I think like, I think in certain pools that I'm in, I can still win if Texas wins it all because I'm so high right now. But like, I have, I think one of the, I'm, I'm trying to find it, bring it up right now. But like one of my like quadrants is one of my, you know, one of my 
like uh, regions is like all green and then the other one is just like yeah. red. red every which way like it's 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 like a com it's a beautiful combination of just just disaster and um no, Brady and I are not getting hair. Yeah, Brady and I just wear caps, hats, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, my bracket, yeah. I think I'm in seventh in my family poll. And then in the ESPN poll, I'm like seven million yeah, something. Eight, but on, I've got some, eight, eight people in your family? Or yeah. how many people in your family? <laughs> There's 10 of us. Yes, I'm seven. I'm at the I'm at the bottom, but I had you know Purdue going very far. That was an upset that killed me. Arizona going far that killed me. I have Bama winning the whole thing, so yeah. we're still alive there. Um, but yeah, you. I mean, you. It's just been. It's been brutal. And also just on the betting side, and Brinson, I know you're like my little degenerate counterpart. I have been getting rocked yeah, on been, straight I mean, yeah. bets. I am down units. Oh, I'm down units too. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah it's, Someone send these people some units. Units. <laughs> yes. By yeah. We way, should give out our Venmo. You guys possibly the worst bad beat of all time had to have been, what was the over under, right? Oh no, excuse Gonzaga. me. The spread of TCU Gonzaga. Yes. That so one was people. just heartbreaking the way that game ended. I mean, and it's just, and absolutely. There was another one too, where earlier in the week, um, somebody failed to cover. It was uh, somebody, somebody was the dogs by, five and a half and they like they tried to foul the guy and foul the guy they didn't call anything wow. and then finally the rest blew the whistle of 0.7 seconds left and they hit the two free throws to win by six it was like one of those where you're like you know what i'm done for the day there was that one there was also um which one of the losing teams it was a big spread and they end up shooting a three at the very end of it to end up covering that number two uh, i'm trying to think who they were up against but there was there was a couple of really 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 bad beats which comes with the territory. I, I did see someone said if you had bet all the underdogs straight up on the money line, oh. you would have ended up being plus money when it was all said. Because yeah, I mean, you would have had like, I mean, you had a 15 seed over a two seed and a 16 seed over a one seed, which would have been, you know, so somewhere in the range of 15 to one to 20 to one money line, like, you know, whatever Princeton was or, you know, uh, Florida. Princeton is 16, I think. Yeah. Oh, Florida. Florida. They don't like to be called FAU. Florida Atlantic. Yeah. yeah Florida Atlantic. Come on now. Don't be hating on them. Hate on them. Who's the other team? That, who, did they play another Florida team? And they fairly, fairly, no, they played Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson's yeah. a 16 seed, guys. Not Florida yeah. Atlantic. Yeah. Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah. Florida Atlantic's a much higher seed. Yeah, yeah. this year. FDU, yeah. FAU. I mean, it's the problem with these Florida people. First off, one's in, one's in Jersey, the other one's in Boca Raton. I mean, my goodness. I'm just talking about the, the acronyms, the, the letters are very similar. I'm about UCF and FCU and, U, and FSU and, I mean, get out of here. It's, it's middle Florida, Tennessee State University. Like, I don't need this. It is a bit <laughs> odd. You do have FAU still in it, Miami still in it. You, you have yeah. a couple of Florida schools do you that. Know, do, you know, do you know what the nickname for Miami's basketball coach is? Jim Laranega? Yeah. Do you know what uh, I can't think of off the top of my head. His nickname is the Tilde, a lot because he's of Cuban descent. And when he was at George Mason, he had no Tilde. Um, he didn't use the Tilde, or it'd be an Enye technically. But he added a Tilde to the end when he went to Miami because he could embrace his 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 culture and his heritage. That's, that's the him. exact same thing was when Brian Kelly went to LSU. Yeah. He wow. let his real Southern accent come out yes. to, uh, to then be more part of that Baton Rouge, that crowd. That was exactly I, I, I was good. just going to also point out that I think that the tilde is an underutilized piece of grammatical action. Like real people, like real smart people know that the tilde should be utilized more. I wish you had more, I don't know, tildes or accent or something. So, <laughs> 
Oh, you, want B-R-I, you want a B-R-I-N with a little N-E-A, like an N-E-A? Like, uh, see if we can, you know, I can't do Brinson. I was going to put it in the chat, but I don't have the ability to do that right now. <laughs> All, All right, right, guys. On this note, the Sweet 16 is upon us. So Brady had the great idea of doing Sweet 16 comps to NFL teams. And I will start things off here. And obviously, it would not be a mock show if I didn't talk about the 49ers. So sorry, everybody. That's a part of this program now. Houston is the 49ers. And the reason I think this is because Houston is the most balanced of the number one seeds. They have a top 15 offense, a top top, top five, excuse me, defense. In fact, the Cougars are the only team that rank in the top 10 for offensive and defensive efficiency left in the entire tournament. They're balanced, but I would say that their identity is very much rooted in defense. They rank among the top in the country in various defensive categories. And their head coach, Kelvin Sampson, his philosophy going into the season, I read this today, was defense, rebounding, and culture plays. That, to me, sounds very much like Kyle Shanahan. Now, I know that we do say that Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mastermind, which I believe, but defense is really the fabric and the identity of the 49ers. Their biggest offseason move well, was strengthening their front seven with Javon Hargrave. And culture has always been a big deal with the organization. But what's Houston's biggest problem, guys? Health. Health is their biggest problem. They've got their stud guard. Yeah, Sasser, like you said, he's dealing with a groin injury. And then there's Jamal Sheed also has a banged up knee. I think everyone can agree that Houston can go very far if they stay healthy. But that's the biggest question mark. And if that isn't the 49ers, I don't know what is. I like this. I think this is actually a great comp, uh, especially considering the most important, I shouldn't say the most important player, but maybe the best player. And then football, the most important position, the quarterback obviously is a big question mark for the 49ers moving forward. Uh, although no groin issues, at least not that we know of. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo had a couple with some, uh, you know, off the field activities going on there. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Houston's got a clear path. They could easily be that team that you could see, going to the NFC Championship game, or in this case, going to the Final Four, maybe winning it all, or maybe it doesn't end up working out, and they can't get past that Final Four to the Championship game. So, Moxie, this is a good one. All I right, like I'll, it. I'll leave um, my second one for later. Yeah, Brinson, well, what do no, you I was going to say, too, that I think you could make the case that like Marcus Sasser, you know, being the most important player for Houston and everything that he brings to the table, and just like, you know, we, we, we think he's going to be fine against Auburn and not have a minutes restriction, but, you know, he's still kind of banged up, right? Like, the biggest, most important player on the entire team is maybe the biggest question mark for Houston as they move forward. And that's a great comp for the 49ers because the biggest, most important part player on any NFL team is the quarterback, and that's the biggest question mark moving forward for the 49ers as well. So I think I think I called them both the 49ers, but the Cougars 49ers, you get the point. Um, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a weird kind of analogy here. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, like if Sasser, if, if Sasser were to get re-injured, then I think like Trey Lance, it's very unlikely that the 49ers are going to win the championship, you know? Just, yeah. So I think, I think it's a really good comp. Um, I do think the defense, like the offense, I mean, the, you know, you like to think of the 49ers about offense, but I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the defense thing is yeah. maybe, maybe this is correct. Cause I mean, the 49ers they have the not- top defense. They've had the top defense, you know, year and year after at least top five. And the, that's been the, yeah, exactly. That's been the fabric and that's been the identity of the 49ers, even with Kyle Shanahan. So that's my first comp. Brady, what's yours? Oh, okay. Um, I've got UConn. How about UConn? And I'm going to compare them to the New York Giants. Uh, first off, let me just say this. 
I'm a huge fan of the Hurley family. I just, I, I love them. I think they're great coaches. They're energetic. I'm not sure what Will's saying, but I think he's also a huge Hurley fan, a Hurley family he's fan. Like there he's going to sign basketball, sign, oh, uh, sign wow. basketball. Here you go. Uh, I, I think, I think there's so much fun to watch. Like they're a part of the entertainment when you watch UConn play besides the point that they've got, you know, three really, really good players in uh, Sanago, Jackson and Hawkins, who, if you were actually going back coming into the season, like, those are the three players that you could bet on were going to be starting for them. But outside of that, it was like freshman class. We'll see who shows up. You know, they awesome guys in the transfer work, transfer portal. Um, and, and they put together a great season. They now look to be playing as one of the best teams, uh, at least right now in the tournament, with maybe they've got a shot of surprising people and being a team that can make a run to go win it all. Um, and that kind of reminded me of the New York Giants this year. Obviously, they've got guys that they kind of built uh, things around with Daniel Jones, a quarterback. Saquon Barkley. Then you look at the offseason move of trading for a guy like Darren Waller at tight end. They're starting to kind of construct like what is their cornerstones, their pieces of that offense of how they can go about scoring. So uh, I just kind of thought there was kind of some similarities in regards to maybe not much expectation for the Giants this past season. Brian Dable wins coach of the year. The Giants go to the playoffs. Danny Dimes plays well enough to get a contract extension. They franchise tag Barkley so they keep him. They still have that that three piece uh, and adding in Waller now too moving forward. And, you know, you've got UConn on their side that's got three studs uh, who are really leading the way offensively for this team, uh, coached by a fiery guy in Dan Hurley, uh, very similar to Brian Dable is a fiery guy. So uh, that was kind of my first comp. Um, you know, really curious to see where UConn goes from here. Well, and I think just in general, when you think of UConn's history, it reminds me a little bit of the New York Giants history as well, because they had that crazy run in 2014 where they won it all and they were a huge underdog. And the Giants have been underdogs before and won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So I do Good feel point. like just in general, similarity. Where did Brinson go? Uh, he's back. I think he's going to get a, okay. a signed item or maybe he's, he took his son, he took his glasses off. Brinson, are you okay? Yeah, I was trying to find a picture of me and Bobby Hurley, Bobby Hurley's basketball camp when I was a little boy. See, there you go. He's a big Bobby Hurley fan. Dan Hurley is the one that coaches, though, UConn. So. Yeah, I'm aware of who coaches. Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making They're sure. Family by, the way, by the way, I did, have, yeah, I did have a great conversation with Bobby Hurley and Chip Kelly when I was out in Arizona for spring meetings. This is like a few years back. And uh, we were talking about horse racing. Just three Irish guys talking about horse racing all together. It was actually pretty phenomenal to have the conversation with those guys. What I digress, a, though. What a weird trio. Like, that would be fun. Like, I mean, that you, you, Bobby Hurley, and Chip Kelly would be an underrated, like, I'll pick three <laughs> random-ass sports dudes that I want to go and play a golf course with, and it would probably be a blast. We had a great time. Uh, I probably had too much fun that night, uh, as Chip Kelly would probably tell you. So, yeah. Wait, so Chip Kelly seen you, like, hammer-timed? I was, I was pretty, yeah. I mean, I, I had a number of drinks. It was a long day. Uh, a lot, I mean, it was a late night, too. We were actually out there pretty late. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say Bruce, Bruce Feldman would probably co-sign that. I think he was there for part of this conversation. Yeah, yeah Bruce Feldman, uh, underrated uh, meathead. Underrated meathead, also underrated uh, partygoer. Yeah. Uh, Bruce likes a good time. He Bruce, likes Bruce, that low key. Bruce, Bruce can pound steak and pound pound Bruce. Yeah, that's good. right. That's right. Um, I ain't gonna lie, I'm getting cooked. <laughs> <laughs> I like the uh, I like the 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 UConn Giants thing though because I think the Dan Hurley uh, Brian Dable comparison really makes a ton of sense. Um, and and the, you know just because like, and I heard somebody saying this on, I think it was a halftime show, the CBS halftime show, and I'm not sure who said it on there, but they were like, Dan, Dan Hurley's skill level of his team has finally gotten even with Dan Hurley's energy that he forces his team to have. And so like, 
I think that that is interesting because Brian Dable brings this energy to the Giants. And then it's different than Dan Hurley. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's intense, but actually it's maybe it's not that different, but um, a little burlier energy, right? A little, uh, you know, a little, a little burlier. But um, I, I do think that you're going to see the Giants' skill set. We agree that Brian Dable is burlier than Dan Hurley, right? Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. That's, that's a yeah, fair. Agreed. That's, 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 that's in-season Brian Dable. Out-of-season Brian Dable, he cuts weight. He gets right back down into shape. You'd be shocked. Like, He'll be a skinny guy come come like summertime. Yeah, he used to do this every single offseason. Anytime I was around him, usually through the season, it's kind of rough, and then he cuts weight, gets right back down in the weight. Right. I mean, that's yeah, it's, it's football life, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I but like I think that we'll see the Giants. If you believe in Joe Shane and, and what he and Dable are going to do, you're going to see the skill set for the Giants catch up to that coaching, that energy level. And when that happens, like this Giants team is a chance to really make some noise. I mean, if you're you know, you can be a Giants fan and you know, have questions about whether Daniel Jones is the guy, whether you need Saquon Barkley back, and all these different things. But the reality is, if you don't feel good about where you are with the front office of that coaching staff, then you're crazy. Because, I mean, this this team is set up to, if you believe in those guys, to be good in the near future. And I think it's I think that is a nice little uh, comparison there. Last thing I'd say is it does feel like when they're good, they pop up out of the woodwork everywhere. Like, yeah. Giants fans – before this season, <laughs> we're overly like boisterous about like talking about it. Like same thing with UConn fans. When they start to make a run, they've got a good team. It's like West Coast, East Coast. UConn fans are popping up everywhere. Our guy Rip Hamilton, you're seeing those jerseys pop out. Like you start to see all of it, and you're going, okay. Like like this is a, it's a much bigger fan base and pull than I think people realize. And, and Katie, really for a lot of the reasons you said, I mean they they've had a, a solid tradition of basketball and. Uh, you talked about kind of winning as an underdog, like even was that the Kevin Ollie team, right? Um, yes. That was able to win one as a, I think a 10 seed. Is that what they were that year? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, that, that's, I, I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess it's my turn. Yep. Okay. I will say that <laughs> Alabama is mm-hmm. the chiefs. Ooh, well, yeah. And the number one overall. Is number one overall seed. It's actually just as simple as the number one overall seed. Coaching, <laughs> the tournament. But, but, but also, I think here's the, here's, the, here's the real comparison, especially particularly with last year, is that we came into this tournament, this NCAA tournament, being like, well, like everybody, their brother has Bama in their bracket. Mm-hmm. People loaded up on taking Bama. Every, there's tons of Bama people, people who have Bama in your bracket. And it's very possible, and I'm not saying that that was a smart thing to do, but like it's very possible that just like we got Travis Kelsey – after the after the Super Bowl, he's like, no one thought, no one picked us to win. It's like, well, plenty of people picked you to win, but you know, like they were the best team from Jump Street. They were the best team all year. They handled their business. They took care of everything they needed to do, and they had a you know, dogfight in the in the Super Bowl, in which they beat the Eagles. I'm not sure if Billy remembers that, but the um, <laughs> you know, they were the best team, and they were the best team in the in the country, in the league, in the in the in, the, in you know, in their best team all year. And it was sort of like, well, this is going to be this crazy-ass tournament. It's going to be wild. You know, there's going to be so many upsets. And there were. But when there's a bunch of upsets, it actually clears a pathway for the best team to waltz through and win the title. And I think that's what we could end up seeing with Alabama, just like we saw with the Chiefs. I like it. I think it's fair. I mean, there's a lot of great comps there. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, they've got a talented roster, too. You think about some of their best players. You make, you make the case maybe Brandon Miller's uh, arguably the best player in college basketball. Patrick Mahomes. 
esque, right? I mean, now I'm not going to talk about the off the field stuff, right. uh, but yeah. obviously on the court, you know, he's yeah. clearly one of the best basketball players uh, this year in, in NCAA. So a lot of fair cops there, especially the the coaching staff too. Um, I love Nate Oates and the way he's kind of changed the game in college basketball. Um, and I don't want to say like Andy Reid necessarily done that, but there's definitely some wrinkles and things that they've done in order to um, play to the strengths of his players. And I think what Nate Oates does extremely well, and, and Will, I don't know if we talked about this before, but, and Katie, I'm not sure if you, you know this, but the way they scrimmage, right? Like they get penalized for taking mid-range jumpers. Like he really tries to incentivize taking threes or taking layups and shots close to the hoop, higher percentage shots for two. And that kind of strategy is really, I think, you know, bled into them being high scoring, them uh, being able to win a lot of basketball games with the way they go about trying to find buckets and playing. And it seems like somewhat of a similar strategy to the Chiefs, who they're not trying to run the football. You know, they're trying to throw in a variety of ways. They've created screens and, and these shovel passes and different ways of getting their playmakers the ball in high percentage, you know, ways or big chunks downfield. And you kind of feel like that's that's a very similar way in which book. Andy Reid, the Chiefs, and then obviously Alabama and how they play. I agree completely. And and also, like, Bama, they're going to beat you with offense most of the time, but they can beat you with defense too, just like the Chiefs, yeah. where it's like maybe that def- maybe the defense doesn't seem as good because they're so high scoring and that just leads to other teams getting up more shots against them because you raise the pace level. Like with the Chiefs, a lot of times you can see them in shootouts, but that defense can make stops, can make plays, and can be the difference maker for them in the playoffs. I agree. All right, my next one. Guys, this one, just hear me out on this. Kansas State is the Bears. Now, K-State was picked dead last in the Big 12 in the preseason. The Bears ranked dead last in the NFL last year. They went 3-14, and and they had the number one overall pick this year. They're a very fun group to watch offensively, thanks to Marquise Noel, that 5'8 electric kid that – I was looking at stats. He made up for more than 60% of Kansas State scoring in their victory over Kentucky. Who does that remind you of? Hmm, Justin Fields? His designated quarterback runs have to be at least 60% of the Bears' offense, if not more. Ultimately, this team, they're not going to win a championship, much like the Bears will not win a championship next year. But they're frisky. They're fun. They've surprised a lot of people. And I see the Bears having similar success. I would even sprinkle a little bit of money on the Bears to win the NFC North at plus 300. But they're not going far in the playoffs. They're Kansas State. I think it's really interesting to suggest that they can't win a title. Now, I think you're probably right. But we got 16 teams left. And the next two games for... Jalen Noel, is, is it Jalen Noel? Yeah. Right? Marquise. Marquise Noel. Jalen Noel plays for the Super Bowls. I'm yeah. sorry. I was like, wait, yeah. why is that wrong? Marquise Noel <laughs> is from New York City. New York. Mr. In fact, New his York. handle is yeah. at Mr. New York City. Do you know what he's going to do to the Madison Square Garden? But this guy is going to go Kimball, full Kimball Walker in the garden in the next two games. Like, I kind of want to just go up to New York, uh, which is a lo- New York is Come lovely. Look, I, maybe I will. New York is lovely this time of year. You know, you can stroll around, you get like, you know, you can enjoy the the smog filled streets of New York. Um, that, like, I need that with my voice the way it is right now. I sound like I've been breathing New York air for a week. Uh, but the, the, point is, the point being is you can go up there, you go check out the garden, you go and like, you go and see Noel light. Uh, like, I'm telling you, man, but a guy whose Twitter handle is at Mr. New York City, you, that's a guy that can go up there and just uncork in the garden. 
Yeah. What are you sleeping at chimney? Will, is that how you get your voice to sound so groggy, like scruffy like that? I mean, you, you just keep like a wood fire burning constantly and you just sit <laughs> right top of the chimney just breathing in all, all the smoke. Is that how that works? I have a really bad sinus infection right now. I'd like a, a pretty bad cold too. Like, oh, yeah, wow. maybe, your, maybe your beard's getting in the way. <laughs> maybe that's part of it. No, no. It's like, when I, like I blow my nose and it makes like a, like after I like blow my nose, it's like, it goes like, like like I'm surprised you can you could blow your nose throw like the bushel on your face like it's like you gotta trim it just to be able to get anything out of it. Well, I mean, you gotta you know. Okay, I mean, we don't need to talk about me blowing my nose. I, yeah. I, I, like, I like the comp. Um, and I, I tell you what, like that, like watching K State, they are fun. They're fun, man. They're fun to watch. And by the way, they're, they're like Matt Eberflus, kind of unassuming head coach. I think he did a good job of like. This is what we got. We're going to try to play to our strengths, right? And they, and I think they, you know, if you look at Ryan Poles too, the way he tried to play or build things up to have a big offseason to set themselves up for what could be this year, it, it was kind of similar to Jerome Tang, like the way he's coached this team. I think he's one of the more underrated coaches in college basketball. Um, I think the more you see him, you know, get in some of these bigger games, the more you realize he's a good coach schematically, putting his players in position to win. Um, and so the reality is, you know, maybe that's the Bears uh, moving forward. But I like the comp; it gets interesting. Uh, I'm gonna transition to my second one. This one's hey, easy hey, for hey, me. Before you, before you transition, can I ask you a, okay. football, a football question, Brady? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what you think about the Bears signing the two, like uh, T.J. Edwards and um, Tremaine Edmonds, because I, I've been sort of, you know, like you want to rip the Bears because it's you're signing off-ball linebackers to big yeah. contracts, but in an Eberflus defense, like that's kind of important. Well, I think in, in any defense, they'll still tell you it's important, right? I mean, it, it just depends on, you know, how that, that franchise values them. They're not breaking the bank with those deals. Um, if you really look at them, I mean, they're, what, a one-year deal for TJ Edwards? It's really a two-year deal for Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds, they're, they're good players. They're going to fit in their scheme. Uh, clearly, it was a need last year for the team and will be moving forward. So, look, Matt Eberflus values them more for his, for his defense. If those guys can stop the run, if they are able to drop back in coverage and make enough plays – I mean, take, for example, this. I, I think the linebackers for Katie Mox's team, the San Francisco 49ers, are some of those underrated. I mean, Fred Warner's an absolute stud, and he flies around, but we don't talk about him quite as much because of how good their defensive front is. Well, you're going to talk about them more and more when they're freed up to make more plays, too, and be able to roam around as their defensive front gets better for the, for the Bears. Uh, I'm still thinking if Jalen Carter falls to them, he'd be a no-brainer at nine. So, um Look, I would, I would put it this way. I have no problem whatsoever with them signing two good veterans who are going to really help improve not only that team, but the locker room, everything else too. So uh, I have no issue with it. I know Pete Prisco probably does somewhere. He, he's probably <laughs> frustrated about the fact that they like linebackers are running backs. They're dead. They don't play in the NFL. It's like, come Learn on. Turn the game. Turn the game. Um, I'm going to make a, uh, a comp that I feel like is pretty easy. I think everyone's going to co-sign with this one. Michigan State – and Tom is there's the New England Patriots. Like the, it doesn't matter. Like he could walk into an open gym, pick out three guys there, maybe someone who's working at concessions, and then someone that they like cross the street and bump into in the crosswalk, and he take those five to like the Sweet Sixteen, maybe the Final Four. He's just an unbelievable coach. His team is so well prepared schematically. They can play in a variety of ways. They can run if they need to. They can slow down and play set offenses in the half court offense too. Um, I just think they're really versatile. I think he develops players as well, and, and he puts them in, in positions to succeed. And I think it's one of the things about Bill Belichick that you got to give him a lot of credit is he doesn't ask players to do something they're not good at. He just asks them to ask them to do something that they are good at or that they excel at consistently and do that over and over and over and over again. 
And, and and schematically, I think you always feel like they'll have a chance or they have or they will be in the mix because of him and because of how he handles things. So uh, to me, Michigan State in the Sweet 16, again, with yeah. Tom Izzo, a team that, you know, I, I think the only reason before the preseason we even say, hey, Michigan State's going to be a contender is probably because of Tom, Tom Izzo. We feel like he's one of the best yeah. coaches to ever coach in college basketball. So I feel like he falls in that category right now with uh, with Bill Belichick. So um, I'm going to – I don't hate this comp at all. Um, I just had – I was going to do use Michigan State and then go with a different team for a different <laughs> bit of reason. But but also because of Izzo. Wow. <laughs> I'm just me making a Charlie Day style. What? <laughs> I'll noise for Brady. I was waiting for it. It didn't happen though. <laughs> I'm just saying, Brady. Um, the um, I'm gonna make the comp to the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. So you have this long time Pete Carroll, long time Hall of Fame head coach who has one title with his team, and do you think maybe could have more Ooh. just because of how good they've been? And then they're the seventh seed. And they're making this little run into the playoffs that no one really expected throughout much of the season. Sort of, and it's like kind of like you you know, you're like, oh, right. They're here because it is so. And oh, right, we doubted Pete Carroll, and they're here because of Pete Carroll. So to me, that was the the comp there that I that I kind of liked, but I think yours works perfectly too. I like both of those. I think they could be both. I, some would say Seattle's always kind of been the New England of the West Coast. I mean, really, if you look at their track record, their success. They both found quarterbacks not in the first round. That wasn't their initial plan going into it, right? Um, and they were able to win Super Bowls, go to Super Bowls, have a lot of success. I think for a period of time, if you looked at the win-loss percentage from when Russell Wilson was drafted in Seattle to up, up till about the time he left, probably if you want to exclude the last season, but the winning percentage was very similar. Um, and just the way that you know Seattle could continually was a part of that mix. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. I think that could also work. Cool, cool, cool. Brinson, you got one more, or is are you hey, using that as your um, second? No, 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 no. I, I, I guess I'll technically go three. Since oh. I, since I do have a good bracket, I can go three. So. Yeah, he gets 110 percent of his homework. Yeah, it would be 150 percent, I think. Um, uh huh. But the uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Chargers are Gonzaga. Mm. So we've got this hippy yeah. dippy, hippy dippy like weirdo leading the team, and Drew Timmy and Justin Herbert. <laughs> Timmy's a lot. Timmy's a lot. True, Timmy. And by the way, if you haven't read it, anyone listening, or either even you two, or anyone, or Billy, whoever's listening, anyone listening, uh, Matt Norlander's got a great story. Although the tales of Drew Timmy that was up a few weeks ago on CBSSports.com, you should go check that out. Um, but the like the the idea that you have this like superstar and sort of a like unheralded Northwestern weirdo, you know, coming in and, and taking over and 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 running this team, but more importantly. This team ain't won crap. They can't win crap, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that they'll win anything. Now, is this finally Gonzaga's year when no one's expecting it and, the, and everything kind of breaks no. breaks their way in? Maybe. But, like, do you really believe that Gonzaga's going to pull off a title? Just like like if somebody was like, all right, the Chiefs and the Bills are knocked out of the playoffs and the Chargers are alive, you're like, I still don't trust them not to F it up. You know, like, and that's sort of where I'm at with Gonzaga and the Chargers. I could see that. Now, here's the thing that I have to point out to Katie because I don't know how long she's known this about you, Will, but we obviously haven't all worked together long enough to recall the days of Will Brinson swooning over what used to be the San Diego Chargers, now become the L.A. Chargers because of one Uh. Philip Rivers. And his days dating back to this time at NC State Mm. with, uh, with one Will Brinson. 
then on campus, hanging out, drinking some toffees together. Uh, so he would never, ever make these comments about a Philip <laughs> Rivers-led Chargers team. He's only doing this because Philip Rivers has moved on. And he's now in retirement. However, this sounds like he might maybe want to come back and play a year, but I digress. You would never say that, Will, if Philip Rivers was the quarterback of these Chargers. The most important thing that happened to me professionally in my life was Philip Rivers moving <laughs> off with the Chargers so I could grow up and stop picking the Chargers <laughs> to do anything each year rather than take an L. Like my first year at CBS, they're like, all right, here's Super Bowl picks. I was like, uh, I picked uh, the Chargers versus the Cowboys. How did that work out for me? You think that you think oh, that was ever happening? Hell no. Hell will freeze over or hell will take over the hell will rise up and take over planet like the planet Earth and we'll all just be living with you know living in purgatory before the Cowboys and Chargers meet in the Super Bowl. Hey, wait, wait, can I throw this out there? Is there a chance that like Mark Few gets to a point where people are like, hey, he gets to the tournament every year, it's phenomenal, but like can't win once he like gets in there, can't win that big one. And it gets like Marty Schottenheimer. Like you go 14 and two in the regular season, then like, oh, no, can't win the playoff game. I know there was more of an issue with the owners, but I'm just saying, I wonder if at some point they're like, all right, that's what you've done. Let's find someone else. Well, I mean, I think, I think it would end up being like, and nobody gave this, nobody gave this program crap for the way they treated this legend, this potential Hall of Fame legend, incredible coach. But when your Irish ran Mike Bray off, like, (laughs) Like that's what they would have to do. But like Mark Few would just have to be like, "Well, I think I'm going to retire." A little, I think it's a little more to that story. But, take, oh, yeah, he just—I mean, he just took the USF job. I, I think there's a little more to that story. So, but he—he—he he, he claimed he was retiring, and they honored him. But, so. All right, there's a little more to that story, and we are actually going to take a quick break. But before we do, have you ever dreamt about buying a nice Pick 6 podcast shirt and then jumping over to get a Yellowstone whiskey glass or a Top Gun Maverick hat? Well, now you can in the brand new Paramount Shop, which offers a mountain of merch from the Paramount shows and movies that you love. Shop official apparel, drinkware, and accessories inspired by over 150 fan-favorite titles. Paw Patrol, Yellowstone, Top Gun, Star Trek, South Park, SpongeBob SquarePants, and your favorite CBS sports podcasts like Pick 6 Fantasy Football Today and Cover 3. Use the discount code LAUNCH20 for 20% off the entire store until Wednesday. Paramount Shop, where products are paramount. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
Get breaking news. Big news coming out of the NFL today. Highlights and instant reactions. The largest final round comeback in tour championship history. We're down to the final four. I just want to take time to analyze greatness. Talk winners and losers with a guy who's already a big winner. CBS Sports HQ. It's all sports all day long. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and Brady Quinn. It's the Brady Quinn Football Show. No, we got no horns. Billy. Billy's just of the wheel. Billy's Billy. just I know. Right. Test <laughs> the test. That was the test for Billy. If you're not already following us on social, please do that at Pick 6 Pod on all social media platforms. All right, guys, we're going to move on uh, from the last subject and let's talk about the draft. And Brady, I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this. Guys coming out of the NFL draft are getting smaller and faster. And I feel like this kind of started even with Tyreek Hill when he came out. He was very short, very fast. Is this a new fad or the new normal? Uh, it feels like it's a, it's, I don't want to say, maybe it's not a fad. Maybe it's just a, a more common trend is because the game's so spread out we feel a little more comfortable with like having skill players in particular that are out in space and guys who are tough to get a hand on or, or really good uh, being able to force defenders to have to play on space. Um, but it's even interesting now that you see cornerbacks who at times have gotten like taller and longer. Like I remember when I, I first was getting into college football in the NFL, you'd, you'd like look for, you know, that mismatch, right? A height mismatch, like you would in basketball since the Sweet 16 has been uh, one of the themes today. You got, a, you got a small guy, a mouse in the house, as they say, right? A small guy down at the yeah. post and a taller guy. You give that guy the ball, you let him go to work, a little, little baby hook or a top of him. Um, and it, was, it was no different. If you had a bigger wide receiver, especially as you get closer down the field, you knew your wide receiver didn't have to outrun him. You could throw up a ball. It's a 50-50 ball. They can out, go out, jump him, go make a play on the football. And you felt like it was a much safer play in general, a much higher completion percentage standpoint. Um, but nowadays, man, these, these DBs, they're tiny, but they're fast. They got great verts. DJ Turner, who ended up being one of the better ones uh, this year in the combat, right? Ran the fastest 40, but he's one of the best quarterback prospects out of Michigan in this year's draft. But the guy weighs, what, 176 pounds? Uh, and Forbes out of Mississippi State's like under 170 or whatever his weight's at. I mean, he's a 4.35 guy, but, and he's six foot one, but they're tiny. I mean, it used, you used to not see that very often because, you were so accustomed to seeing those guys get bowled over by like Mike Williams or some other bigger bodied, you know, wide receiver like a Calvin Johnson. Vincent, so Vincent Jackson, RIP. Vincent Jackson. I mean, there's so many others that you just recall having like these bigger bodied wide receivers. You'd isolate on the backside or you try to find ways to match them up versus a smaller guy like that. And they just beast them. They would just body them up. Um, but you have so many now that have great tape. Like a DJ Turner, Forbes to throw in the conversation. Devon Witherspoon, the kid out of Illinois, is 181 as far as his, his weight. Uh, also fast, great tape, can play in a bunch of different schemes, in my opinion. I think he's just versatile like that. So um, I, I don't know that I'd call it a fad. I think the best phrase for it is it's a trend and does it continue to be a trend moving forward? And probably, especially when you're trying to find guys who uh, I think can match up because of their length with the bigger body wide receivers, but they can also match up with guys like Tank Dell and Josh Downs, two smaller wide receivers who are incredibly shifty in this year's draft class. Uh, but you can make this case for a lot of positions too: quarterback, D tackles, can't see out of pit, you know Pittsburgh's and other guys undersized but super quick off the ball. Well, it feels like I mean you know the modern NFL. We've seen these teams 
it's it's become more, it's proliferated its way through basically the entire league versus just some teams because for a long time you had guys who would eliminate players based on certain metrics of like size, height, weight, you know, hands like and I think teams have really expanded that based on whether you're using advanced metrics, whether you're using like stuff like spark scores or, you know, RAS, like all these different metrics and ways of determining how, what a guy's athletic you know, makeup is coming out of the draft. And, you know, with the way that we pass the football, we, the way that the football is passed in the NFL today, you got 60, 70%, you know, out of like, out of, you know, you're in nickel defensively, you need guys who are versatile. And you talk about, you know, different sizes and stuff like that. We've also seen where you get, you know, a, a linebacker slash safety hybrid. So it's a guy who's small for a lot or like, you know, like a, a huge for a safety, small for a linebacker or like an Eric Kendricks, like guys who can roam around, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's the notion of traditional sizes in the NFL for certain positions has kind of gone out the window. Now, I do think that, you know, by and large, you, you still see because of the way that high school football works and, and peewee football works, when guys are certain sizes at certain age and then in college, you get funneled to a certain position because of the size. But in college, you're so spread out. And you if you're a fast twitch short guy as a receiver or as a cornerback, you can be utilized in so many different places in college football that it's sort of it's that has again proliferated its way up into the NFL, I think. Well, do you think it also has something to do with it? Like positions are changing. Like there's some positionless players now. Like you look at someone like Christian McCaffrey or you look at someone like Debo Samuel and they're both kind of on the smaller side of guys, but they can kind of do everything. Do you feel like Brady and Brinton that this is one of the reasons why it's kind of trending that way? Just because the actual positions themselves are changing. Yeah, I kind of look at it like this. I mean, obviously the NFL is a game of matchups, right? And you're always looking for mismatches and how do you create those mismatches? You know, you do exactly what, you know, Will had kind of talked about. You try to find a safety who's too small to cover. Uh, maybe it's a tight end in this case, or if we're talking about Christian McCaffrey, it's a running back that's too quick, um, you know, for a linebacker to match up with him in man-to-man coverage. Uh, but and, and maybe he's too powerful for a safety to match up with. Uh, as far as, you know, being able to go up against him out in space. So, you know, you look for mismatches all the time, any way you can with the running backs, tight ends, wide receivers as well. Um, and I think defenses have, have also adjusted and changed to that too, right? Where they want to try to find guys who, yeah, he can play as an off-the-ball linebacker. He can also rush really well off of the edge. He can also drop back into coverage. You're looking for all of that. I mean, even the safety position now, I mean, you have to be able to cover as a safety in today's game. Uh, you just have to be able to. Uh, it's just it's it's part of the requirements now, and so you have to be able to match up with that versatile tight end, who's a tough matchup for you. Sometimes wide receivers as well, uh, and, and I think that's just where the game has gone. As you see, in offenses try to put defenses in that bind. Now defenses are trying to do that, and and I, I know like the um, the numbers and and DBs and defensive players being able to pick whatever number they want was like a it was a big sticking point for Tom Brady, right? Like he was one of the most vocal about how much he hated it. And you have to understand from a quarterback's perspective or from an offensive perspective, it was huge because like you got an idea of like what player that was when you're preparing, mm. you just, you look at guys as numbers. And so you'd see that number and you'd say, okay, he's a linebacker because of his number, a D line because of the number DB because of his number. Well, once those guys become like single digits and all that, and you're trying to ex- communicate to make sure everyone understands who has who in protection? And, and if he comes, who's hot? Or what route needs to change if that guy comes? Or who's got a sight adjust? You know, once all those numbers changed, it made it that much harder. I mean, and, and now you've got – so you have the number change to deal with for a pass protection standpoint. But also you've now got positionless players 
know, the way they move around and the different things they can do. So it's really played to the advantage uh, of, of defenses to a degree, even though it's an offensive game and it's set up for the offense to be able to win. Concur. Yeah, Renson. <laughs> Concur. Yeah, you just see like you see these hybrid. You think about these hybrid defensive players we've had come out of the, you know, like remember when um Tyron Mathieu came out, he was sort of like one of the first guys <laughs> to do it. And you know, you, you just didn't like it was really hard for the hybrid guys to make it early on because most of the coaching, you know, a lot of the coaching around the league wanted to put them in a box and say, all right, you're just gonna be a safety. Or like, you know, like like and, and the smart coaches got an advantage early because they would go and you think about Tyron Mathieu in that Cardinals defense when they drafted him. <laughs> You know, they'd move him so like you know, he's, he's moving on. Yeah, no, it drives me nuts. Uh, you know, you move him, you drop him down as a nickel corner. You can put him back as a safety. He can come in and be like a you know a hybrid against a, a hybrid linebacker. I mean, like, he can be, go anywhere. And so I think smart coaching has you know it's a copycat league. So the smart coaches grabbed the the hybrid guys, moved them around, and the more and more of that happened, the more and more people started to do that as well. One place where height probably does matter, and Brady, you can obviously weigh in on this, is the quarterback. I mean, you look at someone like Kyler Murray, who's 5'10", who struggles to see over guys, and there is a couple short guys coming out of the draft. Do you think that that is a place where people are not willing to take the shorter, faster guy? Um, yeah, I mean, quarterback's one of those spots. You've just got to have a unique, extraordinary talent in order to overcome that if you're a shorter quarterback. In Kyler Murray's sense, I think anyone who watched him for this one year at Oklahoma when he won the Heisman – you know, you knew that if he got outside the pocket, he was electric. And and he was a good fit for, I think, what the Cardinals wanted to do, or at least their plan was, with Cliff Kingsbury. And I think up until this most recent season, you saw the, the, the steady, uh, steady progression of, of their success, and that kind of started to work. Uh, obviously, in the end, uh, it didn't work out. But, you know, I, I think that's one of those attributes you look at and you say, yeah, we're willing to take him despite his height because he is a really good passer, he, he does have this unique quality in being able to change the game with his legs. Now, whether or not he can continue to develop as a pocket passer, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But that tends to be the toughest thing for any short quarterback is, you know, you limit yourself. For example, um, you're not going to be under center a ton. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if you are, it should be a dead cell. You're going to run the football. Otherwise, it's got to be a boot. It's got to be a deep, you know, play action drop so that quarterback can get away from the line of scrimmage and be able to look and see downfield. Uh, you're primarily going to be in shotgun, which we've seen from the Arizona Cardinals. They are primarily in shotgun with with Kyler Murray. So uh, I'm not sure if that's going to change um, with Jonathan Gannon taking over as their head coach and how he sees it. But um, you know, those are some of the differences you may see. You know, for a lot of shorter guys, they're back and gun. They want to be able to get back away from the line of scrimmage and be able to see downfield. But it's tough because a lot of times those deeper drops in shotgun stress those two those two tackles. And so then you got to step up, and then you got to really make sure you have good guards and centers. We don't allow any sort of penetration in your lap because that's the, really the next step. You know, defenses talk a lot, especially with a guy like Kyler Murray, about collapsing the pocket around him. I remember talking to Eric Mangini uh, when he was calling defense for the San Francisco 49ers and they're playing Johnny Manziel and the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. I think it was Johnny's last game in the NFL. And his whole thing was like, hey, we don't want him to get outside the pocket. Like that's the worst thing that could happen because that plays into his hands. Like he wants to get outside the pocket. We want to literally suffocate him. Like we want to make it feel like we're just closing every door he could possibly exit out of and get everyone around him where he can't see. And, and, and once he can't see, he'll panic. And that's when strip sacks come. That's when interceptions come uh, because of that panic. So 
any short quarterback has to overcome that. I mean, look, the reality is even tall quarterbacks sometimes have to find throwing lanes where you're, you're trying to find a lane in between guard tackle, uh, tackle and a tight end, you know, possibly or outside of uh, outside of the tackle. That's just part of the game. But there's no doubt. I think teams have become more comfortable with it because the games become so much more shotgun oriented. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it's just a, it's just a different, it's, you, it's just the whole thing you talk about the evolution of football. I mean, it is, it is a game that is constantly evolving and that requires changes in how you approach looking at different players and how you approach, you know, creating different schemes and you have to be multiple and versatile and aggressive. You know, whatever, whatever coaches say at their press conferences, we're going to be multiple. I always, I always want somebody to just get up there and be like, we're going to operate out of base defense 99.9% of the time. We are going to be, we're going to be passive. We're going to sit back and let the offense dictate what we do on defense. We will not be versatile. We will be very, very bland. And uh, we plan to win games. Thank you. Love it. That's Lovey Smith, everyone. I mean, I, I would love a team, though, to sit there and just basically tell you what their identity is and you come try to yeah. stop it. I think the, a head coach like Dan Campbell is probably one of those guys who does a really, really good job of just being, we're going to beat you up. We're going to be more physical. I mean, he's kind of said that with the biting kneecaps. And I know that became yeah. a talking point, but, you know, he's a head coach. You look at and say, I think they know what they want their identity identity to be. And if he could play pace and match up with teams, he probably would every 99% of the time. All right, let's pivot here and talk some contracts. C.J. Gardner-Johnson contract. He took a one-year, $8 million deal over a three-year, $24 million contract. Why is that? And what are the issues with contracts that are back-loaded? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll just generally say is, you know, there's some conflicting reports coming out as far as what was what would, was offered to um, him at, at Philly before he chose to go to the Detroit Lions. Um, and, and the timing of all of it. And it sounded like maybe there was a priority at one point to make sure they retain their cornerbacks, not so much uh, on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Look, only him is representation of the team, the truth behind that. But ideally, like I have no problem with, with players taking a one-year deal. Um, it probably feels like to some out there, it's like a one-year prove it. But every single year in the NFL is a prove it year for you, for most players in the NFL. And so you could sign a three-year deal, but when you look into the details, it's probably only a one-year of guarantees. And then after that, the team can move on from you, and they don't suffer any consequences from releasing you, right? Because there's nothing, there's no dead cap, you know, on their books. And and that's most likely what came down in this case is they didn't like the structure of a three-year deal. Uh, they want a chance to have another bite at the apple in free agency after one year with Detroit, and and that's one of the reasons why you sign a one-year deal. So. Uh, honestly, like big ups to, to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I'm glad, one, he's going to an organization um, that he can maybe then, um, you know, capitalize with after the season if he shows out the way I think he's capable of. And, and, he, and he's basically betting on himself. You know, I think a lot of people out there, they look at the top end value uh, of a contract and they go, wow, look how much money he's making. It's like, dude, he's not making that money. Like, that's not, and you have to look at the devil in the details. And, and Will, I'm sure, will touch on this because he knows he's been, he's really going to read these contracts. But a, a lot of it, it's fluff. And it's just for the agent to go out there and peacock all around, pumping yeah. his chest. And, and, and it's not reality. So um, I'm, 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 it, the average annual value obviously would have worked out the same here. But he probably looked at it and didn't get the guarantees he wanted, and didn't like the structure he wanted. So, so good for him. Yeah, and I think so. Like a good example of this um, is to, to me is like you look at Jacoby Myers' contract with the um, with the Oakland Raiders, Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders. I cannot get past Oakland. Um, <laughs> and so for instance, 
It's initially reported that Jacoby Myers signs a three-year, $33 million contract with the Raiders. Now it's like, all right, $11 million per year. That's what that's pretty good. It's not blow you away money, but it's like right in that range of where you know they need like where 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 he probably fits in terms of the, the overall wide receiver market. Now that news comes out. And we hear it the first day, like the first day of free agency. The news comes out via, maybe it's via the team, because, but it's usually via the agent because the agent wants to prop it up. He got Jacoby Myers $33 million over three years. So that, you know, like my, I'm on this, like all things Wolfpack thread, right? Where, so we sent a text, I sent a text, like, hey, here's the deal Jacoby got because it's the initial report. Then you get a follow-up where somebody's like, I just read that he's only getting like, like so basically a one-year $11 million deal. And you're like, yeah. And they're like, and, and no, the average fan, and I don't know what percentage you want to qualify, but like I think the like the average casual NFL fan doesn't understand that these contracts are so it's 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 actually like the problem is that it benefit the player, it benefits the players. Everybody leans into it. Agents lean into it. The teams love it because it benefits the teams because it's like, look at all this money we're handing out. And they're not really giving out all that much money. It's more of a team-friendly contract with options built in. But if you're an agent, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say we got one year eight million dollars versus three years twenty four million dollars. Now it does, with you can see it on the, the tweet up on the screen, if seventeen million of that twenty four million is coming in year three, that means you, like they're going to cut you before year three. You're not going to get anything close to twenty four million dollars if that's the deal you sign. And so I think that mm. NFL players and they won't do this. This is part of why we won't see guaranteed contracts come into play NFL players should start taking shorter deals like stop taking these deals where you have these dummy years on the back end stop letting your agent convince you that you need to get this huge contract you look at the even the big players Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams sign these deals they like have to be the the highest average annual value of any wide right. receiver and the reality is like there's so much dummy crap built into that contract that you'll never yeah. see that full value you just feel you have to be the highest paid guy and your agent wants you to be I mean, look at it this way, right? I mean, let's look at like another aspect of our lives and try to compare it. I mean, ultimately what you would want is to have as much cash guaranteed to you as possible at signing, right? And then on top of that, even probably more so than that is how much cash do I get right away? Fully Not guaranteed and cash at signing. Those are what matters. Those are the two things that players need to prioritize over anything else. And if anyone says otherwise, to me, they've got a, a real misconception with what I think the players and the players union should be pushing. And, and then look, I, I'm not saying that all agents um, aren't like, are, are, are do a bad job, but there is an element to them trying to pump up the value of what the contract is just to look good for the player. I mean, you have to understand again, agents are in a tough spot in the NFL. They're not making as much on these contracts for players coming in the NFL because of the way the rookie draft salary pool is structured. So then they have to make it look like they're providing a lot of value in that second or sometimes third contract for the player. And so what do they do? They start you know, racking up average annual value. Okay, cool, but you're never going to see those numbers there on the back end. So what does it matter what the average annual value is if you're only there for a year or two? How much money did you get at signing with that signing bonus yep. and, and guaranteed right away up front? Because not even total guarantees, right? Because some of those are only injury only. We have to read the fine print. And again, Will, you can speak to that. So those are always things that kind of, I don't want to say bother me, but 
it's an it's a realm where I think we get lost in looking at the average annual value. It's become a thing. And to me, it has no value, like at all, in how I look at a structured contract for a player. Well, and, and again, like agents are the agent business is ruthless. And people are trying to get players from other agents. You know, you're trying to get you, you can't you can't go out there and say, like, look at this deal I got for this player. Like another agent is gonna badmouth it and say this, like I'm sure Chauncey Gardner Johnson yeah. heard stuff about that deal because it's like you could have given up $24 million. Like, why would you do that? But the reality is the the like the NFLPA needs to figure out some way. Like they're never gonna just be like, give us guaranteed contracts. The NFL's not gonna do that. But for instance, like Lamar Jackson, right? If no one's going to give him a fully guaranteed deal, just play two franchise tags. Well, or take the three-year, $133 million deal you're offered, which was fully guaranteed, supposedly. But but, but to your point, they'd have to take a lot more one-year deals, two-year deals that are just fully guaranteed. And and I think the other thing is, like as we saw this past offseason. Go ahead. Is that scary? Is that scarier though for a player not to have a long-term contract and to say I'm going oh, to have this job for it, this long? It should, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't be because the reality of the contract yeah. that they're signing, even if it's a four-year deal, if the only only the first two years of it are guaranteed, you could say, "Oh, I feel great about it." But think about this. Think about broadcasting. Let's say we had a, a four-year deal in broadcasting. All right, and the first two years are good, but then after those first two years, Team you have a one-sided option. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, why would you feel good about that? I have, I could walk up my bosses off and go out with Jeff Gratul and he might yeah. say, yeah, we're exercising our option not to use you in year three or four. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, that's gone. Or, or, or what if like, what if Brady becomes like, I mean, like Brady's offered X job to do like, to do something like, or, you know, or like I'm, you know, you're offered some other job and you go and you're like, Hey, look, um, I got this offer. They're like, that's weird. Cause we have two options left on you yeah. and we're going to use them and we already know the numbers they're going to be at and you can't leverage anything against it whereas right. to the same thing like if you're Chelsea Gardner Johnson you're going to play one year about eight million dollars anyway or seven million dollars why not go out and bust your like bust your ass play a one-year eight million dollar contract and then you're going to hit the market again like people always talk about it with the NFL they're like well, I just got to get one more bite of the apple bite that apple every year man if you're playing hey. well you're gonna you're gonna blow up Low key too. One interesting little like tidbit and just how it can change the way things are viewed. Like Chauncey Gardner Johnson is one of the additions to a defense that statistically was awful last year in Detroit. Yes, uh, he was on arguably one of the best defenses in Philly next to San Francisco in the NFC. And he knows so, the scheme because he knows Dan Campbell from back in the day. There's some of that, but my whole point is if Detroit improves, just being a top half defense. Oh, guess who was a, guess who was a part of that, right? It was Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Like he changed up the way they can cover. He changed up. So there's there's a perception to it as well, as far as the value I think he can bring, versus staying in Philly. It's like they're great already, and I'm not saying that like he won't want to be a part of that and have a chance to win a Super Bowl because obviously Philly's the best team in the NFC. But there's probably a little bit of that too. Where I think he could take this one year and roll it into something even bigger with the perceived value of what he brings to the Detroit Lions defense. Yeah. I, and I never thought about it in terms of broadcast, but I actually totally relate to that. Cause I remember when I was presented with a longer term deal or shorter term, yeah, you don't know where you're going to want to be in a couple years or what it's going to look like. So explained very well, fellas. Okay. Let's pivot here. 
Um, and let's talk about Dan Snyder. Who doesn't like to talk about Dan Snyder? It seems like the sale of the Washington Commanders is happening very soon. It's estimated to be worth $6 billion. Some names being thrown out there for potential buyers. Jeff Bezos. You got Magic Johnson, who just joined the Josh Harris group. Michael Jordan's name, I heard, is being thrown in the mix. One, do y'all think that Dan Snyder is actually going to sell this team, which seems like it's finally happening. And I think the FBI uh, has a lot to do with that. And and who who's the best who is the best to uh, buy the commanders? I mean, I know this isn't going to happen, but I just I love Steve Ballmer as an owner of a sports mm. franchise. I would love to see him own an NFL team. He just brings so much awkward energy, but a lot of energy. <laughs> And uh, it'd, it'd be great to see him involved in an NFL franchise. I know he's not a part of it. He's not going to end up being one of the guys. But uh, big Steve Ballmer fan from like every single like quarterly or annual meeting they had when he's on stage dancing and like getting everyone fired up. And then anytime you see him at a sporting event, he's just he's awesome. Like I think he's an awesome personality uh, around sports. So I, I wish I wish Steve Ballmer could get more involved in that in the NFL. I, I don't hate that. I do think Dan Snyder is going to sell. I mean, I think it's just, it's, you see where this is going and, and you saw where um some of the deals they did, I believe that Mike Florio reported this, but some of the deals they did, they kicked the options into next year. So the options where the, the players will get paid most of the guaranteed money are going to come after this hypothetical sale would happen, which is the biggest sign yet that Dan Snyder is selling the team because he's cutting yeah. costs there. Um, If I'm picking somebody to buy the team, I'm going to be selfish here. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I don't care. It's not me. Philip Rivers? No, no. no, no. <laughs> I, own I don't know. I don't know. No, no, that's selfish for me. Some oh. NC State booster? No, 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 no. So, although I guess we could get, um, okay. sad. <laughs> I think, look. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Who's the most, heck, who's the richest NC State alum? Oh. Uh, James Goodnight. He, he's, he's here in SAS. Okay, that that would that that he, he's at the top of the list then. Yeah, uh, no, 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 my top, no, my top guy. I want content. I want oh. outrageous elite content. And there's only one man that we can bring into the NFL to truly hashtag disrupt everything and just create some real shenanigans. And that's Elon. Oh Musk. God! Wow, it would be doing so great with Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, into the, the he's, he's he's a very uh, polarizing figure. So I'll, I'll yeah. lay off of that. I honestly thought you were going to go with like some other NC State alum, like Zach Galifianakis, with some sort of ownership yeah. group. Oh. I believe he with NC State, which would be kind of interesting to see how that would work out. But I'm not sure he has enough cash. Yeah, but he could find some other rich people that like have produced films and whatnot, and yeah. maybe make some more movies. I don't know. I feel like the commanders need stability and maybe this is a boring answer, but I do think that Josh Harris, who now Michael or excuse me, Magic Johnson has joined his group makes the most sense. What he owns the Devils, the Sixers and the Crystal Palace, right? The Premier League Crystal Palace. And he got Magic Johnson, who fun fact, I actually worked for his wife when I was working in fashion. She has a denim line um, called C. Why am I forgetting the name? Something by CJ. And uh, very, very nice family, very nice man. And if you go to Dodgers games, I lived in LA for a long time, or Lakers games, he's always there, always around. This team needs stability and like a friendly face. So I feel like Magic Johnson and someone like Josh Harris would be a good fit for them, even though it's a boring answer. So everyone's out on Bezos. I mean, I literally just got an Amazon package delivered to my front door. And yet, like, no one wants to, Jeff Bezos and his 
big rocket that looks like I think, I think the, up something. I think um, the rumor is that um, I mean, no one wants space up because yeah, what he what Dan Snyder pushed him out. Little Danny didn't like didn't like him. He didn't like he it didn't because like he, him. He, he bought the Whopper and he feels like the Whoppers helped run me out of town. Wow. Well, it would be awesome to see him land that rocket right there in the middle of the field. I would say, hey, it's like, does Dan, oh I don't know Dan, if Dan, that would be sick. If Dan, does Dan get to just definitely decide who buys the team? Like he's going to, he's going to take like a billion less just to spite Bezos. Like, come on, bro. I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of financial sense, but you know, I, I guess once you're like a billionaire, what five time, times over, like he's going to be in this case. And I guess at that point you can kind of pick and choose. Yeah. All right, guys, we have to take a quick break. You are watching the Pick 6 Podcast, and we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Phenomenal! Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. Katie Mox here with Will Brinson and Brady Quinn. It's the Brady Quinn Football Show. Billy, I mean, I set you up yeah. every single it's time. It's all right. It's your <laughs> Today is March Madness themed. Uh, join us all week long for more NFL offseason news. Remember to like, comment, subscribe to the YouTube page. And now we're going to talk about NFL futures, the NFC and the AFC, and who we see winning the uh, the respective championships. And uh, Brady, I, I can see yours here on the rundown, and I like them. So you go first. Okay. Um, so okay. I've got San Francisco. San Francisco's all there, is what you're telling me. Oh, of course. Exactly. <laughs> um, of the 16 potential teams that right now, the top 16, top half of the league, that could bide for a Super Bowl. I've got I've got San Francisco and uh, and obviously Philly. Look, yeah. Philly signed back a bunch of their pieces. You got Hurts coming back. We'll see what that longer-term deal looks like, but – they have every, a lot of things intact, I think, to make another run. The biggest question is, like, how will the coordinators moving on impact the defensive and offensive play calling and scheme? Um, but that's that's really the only concern I have there. Uh, for San Fran, it's pretty pretty apparent. Is, is Trey Lance going to be back healthy, and will he be able to take them to um, the NFC Championship game to take on uh, Philly, who very, very maybe end up being the number one seed? So NFC for me is somewhat easy because I think there's a lot more question marks after those two teams – uh, just after you look at how talented those rosters are. And then the AFC, Kansas City, I, I know that sounds uh, like we're talking chalk here, but why would you pick anyone else when you've watched what yeah. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have done? Um, they'll be there. That's what they've been since he's been there. And then the surprise team, and Will, this is one for you because we've obviously been able to do the pick six for this past season. And uh, I, I was able to donate $5,000 in the name of the New York Jets it's the New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers. And that's right. I'm, oh. I'm not coming on this team for any other reason other than the fact that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the starting quarterback at some point this offseason. If you can get him a plus 700, take them. Those odds might improve slightly. I don't know if they're going to leapfrog Cincinnati or, or, or Buffalo, um, but I do think they're going to be one of the teams to beat with the way that roster is built and how they'll continue to build it if Rodgers is their quarterback. So 
that's how I see this whole thing playing out uh, come the NFL season. Wow. It's an expensive 180 you're taking on the Jets. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who are like, what the, you know, bleep? Look, look at the Buffalo Bills. The reality is they split with the Bills last year. Like, did we forget that? And they played them yeah. in, in another one loss or, you know, a, a one score close game with Mike White as the quarterback. So, like, I, I kind of look at it and go, do we really not think they're not going to get a big upgrade with Aaron Rodgers now playing quarterback for this team? And, by the way, when their offensive line is back healthy and Brees Hall is back healthy and they've got these pieces uh, on defense playing the way they did. So, uh, I'm, I'm much more bullish on where the Jets are going to be next season compared to where they were this this other season um, because of the quarterback situation what that means with, with Aaron Rodgers. I think um, I, I look. I, I don't think the Jets are crazy, and, and we should note like that we're sort of doing a Final Four thing here. Where, but these odds are actually to win the conference. So, so it's not the Jets are seven to one to get there. I think the Chiefs at three and a half to one to to win the conference is a really good price. Right. Mm-hmm. AFC is hard as hell. It is loaded with good teams. It is going to be difficult to navigate your way through. But if last year taught us anything. Where I taught everyone else anything. I told everyone before the season what was going to happen, and it happened. The Chiefs are are just they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Andy Reid. They're probably going to win their division. They're probably going to be in the hunt for the number one seed. If they get the one seed, it's just like the old Patriots formula: get a bye, win a home game, yeah. or win two home games, and then you're in the Super Bowl. And so three and a half to one, you're if the Chiefs get a bye, you are basically having a you're getting a three and a half to one money line parlay on the Chiefs to win two home games, and so that to me right now is decent value. Now, if if, if Rodgers, the, the one thing you might want to wait on, if Rodgers does get traded, and I think this is baked in where seven to one is probably their number, maybe you see a little bit of a squeeze there once the actual trade happens. But I think that number is fully baked in based on what he's told us. Um, I bet it improves to plus six hundred, if not maybe a little better. Yeah, I wouldn't see if it's like I wouldn't be surprised if they're even with the Bengals five and a half to one. I mean, like Rogers. The problem is the books don't want to get. They're 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 trying to walk a fine line of not being too exposed, but also, uh, you know, making sure that they don't get burnt on the on the other side. Um, I'll I'll give my NFC uh, picks real quickly. I and I'm not picking these teams necessarily because I think they'll get there. I think the smart bet in the NFC is to take the chalk because the NFC is so diluted yeah. right now. I mean, it is yeah. like the Lions are 11 to one. The Saints with Derek Carr, 14 to one. I think you dip a little bit below those guys and you look at the Rams at 15 to one and the Vikings at 16 to one and even maybe the Giants at 16 to one as well. I'm not saying that those are the teams I think will win the conference. Just that Rams. I mean, what, they won a Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah, but did you see how they played last year? Well, they, everyone was hurt and banged up. I, they have Sean McVay, they have Matthew Stafford. Look, it's at, at 15 to 1. I think it's more likely. Right. I think 15 to 1 is a better number for the Rams than three and a half, three point two plus three twenty is for the Niners, just because you have to like you have to win the you have to win the conference. And we don't yeah, even well, know what Trey yeah. is. Yeah, if, 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 I agree. Okay, I understand what you're saying. But if we're talking about final four, like who's gonna be in the final I four? I agree with not- Brady and with you. The, yeah, you go chalk. You have to go the Niners and and the Eagles. I do think the Eagles will take a slight step back this next year, but I do th- still think they're going to be huge for the NFC. And you nailed it. We don't know what's happening with the quarterback position. So San Francisco has all the pieces, but we don't know who's going to be under center. There's a little bit of a question mark there, but they t- are the two best. If I was going to if I was going to pick like a long shot, I might look at the Detroit Lions at 11 to 1 just because they've made so many great moves this offseason, especially beefing up that defense and uh I don't know why I'm blanking on their quarterback's name right now. They came from the Rams. Help me out here. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jared Goff. Goff all of a sudden looks like a superstar uh, in that offense. So if I had to sprinkle anything, it would be the Detroit Lions. And if we look at the AFC, yeah, Kansas City Chiefs, they're like the Alabama here, right? So I feel like they're just going to go all the way, number one overall seed. I'm out on the Buffalo Bills. I have lost. I've believed in the Buffalo Bills for two seasons now and had a futures ticket on them, and I've lost money every single year. So I'm going to go with the Bengals here at plus 550. They are the friskier team. And if there is one slight kryptonite to Patrick Mahomes, it is Joe Burrow. He has been able to beat them more times than anybody else has, as specifically back-to-back as well. So I would go Bengals, Kansas City for my final four. All right. Uh, I like that. There's a good chance of that. I, look, I know Bills fans are going to be fired up about it. Um, I just, there's, there's questions, right? The offense looked a lot different under Ken Dorsey last year than it did under Brian Dable in previous years. Leslie Frazier's not there as your DC anymore. Um, I, you know, you, you got pushed around by the Bengals and, and some, you know, offensive linemen who aren't even going to be starters for them probably this year. Uh, there's, I, I think they've gotten probably more to prove after going in and being the betting favorite to win it last year before the season. Um, hopefully they'll have a chip on the shoulder. Hopefully they'll prove me wrong and they win the AFC East. But uh, I think Rodgers is going to have that chip on his shoulder too with something to prove moving on to another team. Um, and I don't think he's going there just for a year. I think he's going to go there at least for a couple of years. Otherwise, this deal probably doesn't happen. and doesn't get done. Um, but again, not to go back to it, I think that value is only going to lessen as – you know, this trade becomes more of a reality or actually occurs, in my opinion. I think you'll see a lot more money flood in on the Jets to win the conference. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our show today. Thank you to Brady Quinn and Will Brinson here. Make sure you join us Thursday at 1 p.m. for more NFL offseason coverage. Remember to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube page for everyone listening audio only. Download, leave a five-star review, do the works, tell your friends to listen to the pod. And that's a wrap for us. We'll see you on Thursday.